2: Welcome to Know Your Options, the measured risk
1: podcast. The ultimate guide to navigating the volatile nature of the markets while managing risk purposefully.
2: Join us as we challenge the theory behind traditional asset allocation and dive into the mathematics of investing. Whether you are a seasoned investor or just starting out, this podcast offers valuable insights and practical advice
1: to help you make informed decisions and manage your money wisely. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's dive into the world of calculated risks together.
2: Well, good day, everybody. This is Larry Kriesmer, my partner, Bernard Sarefsky. We're here at the Know Your Options podcast, and our guest today is Urban Adams, and he is an advisor with Dynamic Wealth Advisors, and they are uh, based in Arizona. And um, we're going to be chatting with Urban about his experience as an advisor. So, Bernard, why don't you uh, start us off?
1: Yeah, sure. Hi, Urban. It's nice to meet you. Evan, tell us a little bit about you know how long you've been in the business and why you got into the business, or what were some of the catalysts to get you into the business? Thanks, Bernard. Yeah, I I joined the industry uh, right
0: well, oddly enough, right before the Y two K event, we'll we'll say or non event for that matter. So what's it, what's and, that called? Baptism by fire. <laughs> yes, it, and it was uh, it was working for a rather large mutual fund company, and I remember actually. Uh, January 1st, 2000, showing up at work and not answering any calls because nothing ha- actually happened. Uh, that was uh, a little bit of the baptism. I had been with the firm for a number of months at that point. Joined mainly because I had I, a previous employer. I was participating in a participant of 401k in my you know early to mid-20s, didn't know a great deal about it, but found that I had a lot of interest in not only the investment side, and that's what got me into the industry and started pursuing opportunities there. And uh, things kind of evolved from there, you might say.
1: So you start started with a 401k and next thing you know that you're, that, that you're a mutual fund wholesaler almost, or what position were you at the mutual fund family? It, it was, it was a, it was
0: a frontline, Uh, position, you know, the other side of the 800 number answering calls from self-directed individual advisors, a lot of operational things, a lot of administrative items, but it gave me the opportunity to learn a great deal. And the more I learned about it, uh, obviously that evolved into, to other, other roles in the industry.
2: Were you, were you dealing with like the retail part of the 401k field force or the advisor side or both?
0: It was the retail individual investor, so it wasn't even the four hundred one k space. It was really the the self directed, you know, IRAs, taxable accounts, et cetera, mm. that I was. So that's
2: maybe you know, gosh, ten, twelve years ago, or longer. No, older, twenty years ago. But
0: yeah, yeah 20, years ago. 99, two thousand, and that that still was, uh, you know, the customers of that. That company would call up and you know and ask for the update on the share price after market close, for instance. Oh wow. Right, exactly. Gosh, that is some way back machine.
2: That's also the beginning of the in the tech bubble that was kind of instrumental in Bernard and I looking for a different solution to wealth management. Uh, in large part because, gosh, the, the, the phrase uh, 201K, I think, was coined by the end of that uh, tech bubble bursting by you know, 2002, 2003, because wow, uh, sequential losses were just brutal. Did you have any sense of that
0: in, in your role
2: there on the front lines, or did, were you there long enough to experience that, or how long
0: were you there? I was I um I did change firms a couple of years in and was working started working on the front lines again you know the the other side of that 800 number but as 2002 2003 rolled around I was then starting to work my way into roles related to investment advice I was actually on a on a group that supported a group of advisors in you know internally so that's what that was my uh, introduction to the investment advisory side of the business, and I, I don't recall any particular, you know, any particular event that was you know market related that changed my perspective on what I was doing or what the daily you know role was. Uh, I do recall that there were some rather notable corporate bankruptcies that took place during that time, corporate failures. That was that was more notable to me during that two thousand two two thousand three time frame or so.
1: Um, can you think of any situation where you faced a significant kind of headwind or a challenge or anything, you, you know, either during that time or since, you know, and like what's your, what's the biggest challenge you think you faced and overcome in your time in this industry?
0: Well, it was a little bit of a challenge for me role-wise because the, the one that I evolved into in that investment advisory space was again for a rather large company. And it was a, what you might say a a piloted program, a new program that they were rolling out. So it, it really gave an opportunity to be entrepreneurial within a rather large organization, and that meant also a great deal of change. So there were there were definitely headwinds there from time to time. We had uh, one one of my colleagues famously put it: uh, you know, our group had uh, a great deal of responsibility, but yet very little to no authority, and uh-huh. and, and, and trying to elicit change on a number of different levels could be a challenge at times, but it it taught me a lot of great
1: lessons fighting against the man
0: (laughs) in in, in a way. Yes. And it was, um, and that's where I, I had reached a, a crossroads of sorts. And, uh, when I, when I left that role, there wasn't a clear career path, if you will, that led to the next, uh, opportunity, the next challenge. And I've, I've learned over the years that I'm the type that in some ways or another, I'm I'm always looking for that next challenge. Now, granted, my role as an advisor, that's a you know, that's essentially a permanent one that will carry me through the rest of my working career. But it was uh it was a fair amount of trial and error within the industry finding out what that next challenge was going to be.
1: Yeah. So putting yourself. Yeah. Ahead, when, like. did,
2: when did you actually, you know, sit across the table from your first client or have somebody engage you
0: as an advisor? How long ago was that? That was uh about A dozen years ago, 2011, Mm -hmm. when that when that took place and I started and I had been fielding throughout the years from friends, acquaintances. uh, You know, I I got the sense that if I did at some point and I found what I felt was the right business model, the right way to to work with clients, in my view, then, you know, I would take that step. And I felt like I'd had at least the, the start of a practice at that point.
1: And how, how was that feeling? I mean, sitting across from the client versus being at the other end of a phone, did, did you find that much more exhilarating or was it comparable to just being at the other end of an 800 line? I mean, what was that emotional kind of journey like?
0: I've always felt comfortable in interpersonal interactions and particularly one-on-one, you know, the, the larger group conversations I, I've had opportunities to probably the largest group I've ever spoken to in person probably was fewer than a hundred. However, I think I, I, I feel much more comfortable, I guess you'd say in those one-on-one or, you know, small group, you know, obviously working with a couple or, you know, that are clients, those types of interactions. Uh, I much prefer, uh, the in-person, you know, not to jump too far ahead, but thinking about during the time with COVID and we're transitioning to zoom or other web conferencing, uh, you know, options. And as, we unwound from that. Sure. There are clients that I meet with that regularly meet on zoom for a variety of reasons. But one of the things that I do working with clients here in the Phoenix area is I, I make it very open to them that I do house calls and that's all I've been doing since COVID was starting to unwind and it's been very well received. Clients don't have to worry about traveling to my office. I have a flexible enough schedule that I can schedule those meetings with them. I'll, you know, because of the, the, you know, the, the Phoenix area being somewhat dispersed, I'll create meetings that are at least local for you know, if I have more than one in a given day, something like that. But I yeah, that's been very uh, rewarding in that respect is, oh. is- my mm-hmm. It's interesting because I think uh, we can probably
2: do the the next 50 podcasts and not meet another advisor who's doing house calls. So, yeah, I'm sure that that lends a very personal touch to the whole experience. And speaking of Phoenix, though, oh, my gosh, what is it like going to be 115 or 120 or something this week for you?
0: It is. Yeah. Over the last 30 years, I've spent uh, over 20 here uh, with a with a about 10 years in, in Southern California where I have some clients as well. And uh, I do take my, uh, my little trips there during the summer from time to time to, to, to give myself that break. Yeah. I mean, I think I learned a trick from a friend who lives in um,
2: Scottsdale, that they actually have two car or two keys for the car. And one, one to leave inside. So the car is <laughs> running with the door locked so they can keep the air conditioning on when they go in to do chores or something. It's unbelievable how hot that is. It's, Yes. Anyway, we So, in your practice, um, are you uh, part of a team? Are you by yourself? Do you have uh, admin support? Are you doing this on your
0: own? Or describe your structure. Mostly, it's on my own, and designed in that fashion because of the you know the nature of doing house calls and and having that personalized. I'll I'll share just you know quick anecdote that one client you know, and they're, they're retired. They had to replace their, uh, their cell phone. You may recall Verizon was getting rid of their 3g and they had to get rid of a phone that only supported 3g and we made arrangements. I made the appointment at the, at the the store for the phone out and went with the client. We met, we chose their new phone, went back home and, you know, and, and that was, it had nothing to do with investment advice. It had nothing to do with investment planning. So I-, I well, But, it,
1: but it, it gave you the opportunity to put all of the correct ticker symbols in their phone, right? So they could only- <laughs>
0: <laughs> We were starting with um, with which apps to add, but uh, you know I, they, they were of yeah. the personal okay, of nature.
2: Course. We're a little cynical on the West Coast. We're thinking, go through their contact list, remove all the other
0: advisors. <laughs> delete I, I'd like Wells to go and whatever else out there. Yeah, I'd like oh, to think funny. that level of service, though. Uh, I, I probably, you know, am doing a good job of making sure that I, you know, I, I keep that relationship. But it's, you know, in all seriousness, it's it comes from a variety of different places. And because of that. The front facing, I tell my clients, you know, when you call, you're not calling an 800 number and trying to get through a phone tree to get to me. When you call, you're you're reaching me. If you don't reach me, you're leaving me a voicemail and I'm calling you back. And I've had more than one client remark. Oh, I didn't expect you to answer. Well, actually, you should because you're you're calling me and I'm the only time I'm not answering is if I'm in a meeting with someone else during, you know, during business. Action. I mean,
1: that gives a whole new meaning to like the idea of a hands-on advisor. I mean, you know, no punny. I mean, to literally go there and help them get this offer, and that is truly a, a remarkable level of service. It's, uh, yeah. It helps build the, the relationship. I mean, what do you consider one of your most good memories that sticks out in dealing with clients in such a personal manner? Or do you have anything else that kind of is a really good?
0: That one stands out for sure, but I've had clients reach out to me and, and ask me to, you know, I had one client who was considering, purchasing a home in another country. And oh, wow. <laughs> and while I wasn't going to facilitate it, they wanted me there as a, a consultant to them to ask the devil's advocate questions, the, you know, to to be that uh sounding board. And another client called me middle of last year. Uh he and his siblings had inherited some farmland in in the Midwest somewhere. They had finally gotten to the point where they had received an offer. They wanted to sell it, called me up. I've never sold farmland before, but I asked questions that if I were, I would ask the, the appropriate uh, professionals. And six, seven months later, I'm now managing the proceeds of that sale.
1: Wonderful. Wow. That's a recent called that cool, very I always use the analogy that we, we almost get very intimate with our clients' affairs, you know, because, you know, we get to we get to manage their money. But, I mean, you seem to have taken that to, to just a much higher level of just not just, I mean, you know, helping them with almost all life kind of experiences, which is great. I mean, good Lord, to, to go to another country and help somebody buy a house, that's, uh, that's certainly above and beyond. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, w- when it comes to making recommendations to clients and things like that, what kind of defaults do you like to go to in terms of, you know, investment choices and, you know, what kind of portfolio construction do you look to or tools do you use to build a portfolio for a client? Re- you know, recognizing that your relationship is very strong. So your recommendations, I imagine, will be adhered to, I would, I would
0: expect. I would say that for the most part, the a lot of the conversations, whether that's a, the, a one-off conversation or a, a regular review meeting, which they get to choose the frequency two, three, four times a year, with whatever they prefer. And what investments or the underlying investments rarely come up. What I do is I utilize a, you know, a, a risk assessment tool, which of course is, is a guideline. It's not the only, you know, factor because of course I'm gathering all the other financial planning, whether it be data or whether it be, I guess you'd say the intangible things about their, their goals. And combining all of those things, I have the ability to choose internally allocations, models. I I know sometimes models might be a a difficult word or or it has a bad connotation to it, but I don't see it that way. It it is tailored to each client with respect to the various account types. And I really rarely have to push a button on a trade. It's done for me internally. So Larry, back to your question, as far as the the team, I've got a, a rather extensive team behind me, but they're largely in the background. So it's, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that back office, much less a middle office, and I'm really the front office, if you will. Sure. I mean, it's like the firm is um, collectively
2: over $3 billion in assets and hundreds of employees. So it's certainly, you're not a single person shop by any means. Correct. But and each I, of you operate, you know, in a in a way that's it sounds like it's you're allowed some discretion in how you operate your
0: your practice absolutely yeah and 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 I am and then yet at the same time uh in being able to leverage the team between compliance technology the the day to day servicing of the accounts the you know all of those things that get done for me i I guess you could say I'm delegating them out, but i'm I delegate out a lot of things so that I can perform those functions like going to the, the mobile phone store and things like that. And in, in being able to do that, it allows me to be that first point of contact at all times. So, so let's
2: talk a little bit maybe about,
0: um, you know, not practice management, but client
2: management. Are you in a position where you're taking on new clients? Or are you trying to just have the ones you have and you're comfortable? Or are you looking to do a
0: transition to different generations or where do you, where do you stand in your practice? Great question, and and that's one that I I probably get feel like I, I'm pulled in a couple of different directions on any given day, week, or month, for that matter. There is that that balance of making sure that there's a, enough of me to go around to to provide the level of service that I do. By nature, there will be clients that I will will lose, and you know I do work with the you know other generations of that in in many cases, and certainly not all, but as many as I as I possibly can. And I do right now. I would say that probably a good seventy-five percent or more of the clients that I add annually are referrals from existing clients.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. I, mean, I, I suppose with the level of of care that you provide, you, the, you know, you need to have that strong back office to support you because of you know, for you to have the time to say because it almost it almost feels to to me that you're almost taking on like a I use this term. Like almost a parental role in the sense that you're always there to be kind of like a like a father figure, for lack of a better term, when it comes to any kind of financial decision making, which is great. I mean, but again, it does it obviously does consume more time, which is a, an interesting thing. um But that I think that's a that's a really wonderful way to be. Uh, do you have any concerns in terms of changes you see going on within the industry that you think might hamper your ability to provide this level of service or any changes or improvements, you
2: see it, maybe or improvement somewhere or improvements somewhere improvements
0: yeah easier yeah, or better. I think there are. I, I recognize for my practice, there's there's probably a, a little more improvement I can make on the, you know, no matter what. And, and I I believe this is true, even, even with the referrals that I get that are, you know, relatively uh, warm introductions. Someone's going to Google my name, they're going to look for my website. I know that I could improve that. It's not necessarily out there to drive traffic and drive clients, but there's a little bit of an intention there. I think that I am interested in AI and I will say that I'm I'm not quite ahead of the curve. I'm trying to stay with the curve on, on being familiar with it. And I love creating my own content, but I find it a challenge sometimes to create it on a consistent basis. And I think that there might be some opportunities to leverage that to create that. I don't see it as much of a, uh, as a challenge, as much as it is uh, potentially something that can enhance my ability to serve my clients. And I think that if I, if I'm performing what what we've described and discussed so far, I think that throughout the the length of my career, I think I'll I'll have a a business that's successful. How about, you know,
2: custodial relationships? Right? You mentioned you have models. Is this on something like one of the big 800
0: pound gorillas like InvestNet or what what structure do you use for the for the investments? So the investments themselves is, is actually an additional service that Dynamic, the parent firm, offers to, to the advisors. Of course, we could use other SMAs that are available through the, the various custodian platforms. But internally, I have that ability to choose from hundreds of models, mutual funds, ETFs, uh, all manner of strategies. So it's really you know very simple for me to choose that. And then it apply. They apply it and apply the infrastructure to implementing it. at Whatever custodian the the accounts are are housed at. I see. So they are they working with Schwab
2: and Fidelity and Interactive Brokers and all of them, or just a, you know, a handful three or?
0: There are three, not including the TD Ameritrade, which will you know will be Schwab in a couple of months. There are uh, Schwab, Fidelity, and uh, Raymond James currently. All right. And if you were. Um... You know, looking back to your
2: early self, what would you tell your current advisor self that you should have done, you
0: know, seven or eight or nine years ago? Start my practice sooner. Mm-hmm. There, there's, there's a great deal more personal and career satisfaction around that. I would have started earlier.
1: What about anybody you look back as, as like a mentor or anybody like that? Or do you have anybody in your life who's kind of used in that role?
0: There are, uh, yeah, there are several uh, along the way. So in my, in the, we'll call it the first half of my career as as a non advisor, uh, there was a, a colleague, and we would probably meet for lunch once a month, and he he was a tremendous help to me, uh, as as far as uh, maintaining a focus and, and being open to additional opportunities as that evolved, and as I moved into an advisory capacity of a longtime colleague of mine at at one of the the previous employers, who is now a a colleague here at the firm, uh, running his own independent practice, and uh, a a tremendous help to me as well. Uh, And and we meet on a quarterly basis to to sort of celebrate our, uh, our respective independence in in our, in our careers now. Yeah, I think what's Interesting, you mentioned starting earlier would be more rewarding or a better
2: decision. But I think one of the challenges that the industry is facing right now, apparently, I I don't understand it, but we don't appear to be attracting younger people. And I also don't think that we're necessarily as a group of people, as advisors, doing the best job we can about saying, okay, there's an interesting balance between we're getting more and more wisdom uh, with experience, but we're also getting older. And there's a point at which you know, this this thing has this beautiful thing we do, which is all this, you know, knowledge gets transferred over to the clients it helps them out and achieve their goals. But at some point, you know, you gotta hang up the hang up the license and then move on. Have you thought about that? Is that
0: something or is that still something that's sort of in the future and you haven't got any defined plans on? I I think you're you're spot on there uh because I I've I've been on uh completed just over two years ago now uh an acquisition for a colleague who retired mm-hmm. and we spent a, a good bit of time leading up to it. And and now the, these clients have been working with me to going on three years in many cases that, and that advisor, you know, is quite a few years older than me. And, and I, I actually have uh, two other successions or at least I'm the continuity partner should something happen uh, for two other, two other colleagues right now. So I'm still in that, in that mode although I I, I'd be remiss if I wasn't looking at both sides of that. And I have, and there is for me, there is a, you know, that uh, proverbial bus or a bread truck, whatever analogy you wish to use that that's in place, but long-term, uh, yeah, still trying to, to identify who that might be. And it's, I will say it's a challenge And, and it's a challenge in our industry because you have, um, and, I, and I've seen this in other firms. I've, I've consulted two advisors over the years as well, and the you see that challenge because you have that uh, new advisor, junior advisor, for for lack of a better term, and uh, you, there's the desire to bring them along. But you bring them along, and there's there's got to be some level of incentive for them to stick around. Whether that's building their own clientele, there's a you know there's an ownership. Uh, opportunity in some way or another. And it's not the kind of career that you can just, especially in a in a model that's not salary-based or commission-based, it's very difficult to create that critical mass to earn a living. And I think that's part of the challenge too, is that I, I think many more uh, younger people who have an interest in this career would join, but that challenge is, you know, how do you get to that first 10 million, 15 million, 20 million before you have a a viable income.
1: Yeah, Larry's told the story on, on more than one occasion how when he first started out, he never had any gray hair. And so he felt like credibility was an issue because, uh, but now he's got plenty. Don't worry. <laughs> um, here, if if there were super, super credible, <laughs> <laughs> super credible, yeah, on that fine line between no hair and gray hair. Yeah, that's um, and I've got it covered for both of us.
0: So well, that's that's the uh, sign uh, of we, wisdom. I think you can see right <laughs> through to exactly. the good ideas.
1: <laughs> but it's interesting. You know, I was just I'm just reflecting. You know, your your business model is such a high touch model, and you know, you know, doing the proverbial house calls is which is amazing. To imbue that into someone you know coming in and starting with you or to get that that kind of d- desire for that level of service uh, I mean I think it adds another level of complexity to to the challenge i think I and mean, i would which I, so I admire. I mean, I right, that's an interesting mind.
2: point, but I, I would say you know, I'm just going to step in and observe here. But I think if you're doing a transition and those clients are going to be older because you're going to be you're going to be older and they're going to be older when that happens, really, it's the handoff to the next generation that I think is going to be the part that has to occur successfully. And I think that there's room for having a you know a junior apprentice advisor or even a team. You know, for all I know, we may just never meet in person anymore and we just do Zoom. And I have I would say actually our experience for me anyway, personally, is that a lot of our clients have decided that Zoom is the better way. It's more convenient for them. Uh, We have the tools in front of us to screen share and we don't have to crane our necks around and see, you know, trying to share a screen together. So it's actually been pretty, pretty positive for us. But each advisor and all their clients are going to have their own way that it all sort of sorts out
0: and, and fits together. Ultimately. Right, and I have, and I do have clients that are here locally. That it, I'll offer it, but they'll they'll opt for the Zoom instead, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. It, it's it I, I do, much like the frequency of the meetings on an annual basis. I let them decide the the manner in which we meet, and sure. I, I feel like by giving clients that choice, then it's rather than me dictating the terms. It, it's a you know it's a collaborative arrangement. It's a relationship, so. Uh, I let them tell me how, how often do you want to hear from me? You know, you're getting, you get the emails, you get quarterly emails, you'll and tell me how often you want to meet and check in on your progress.
1: That's great. That's really great. Well, I think we've uh,
2: reached about uh, the time where we are going to move into wrapping up our conversation. Is there anything that we maybe should have asked or any secrets you want to re- reveal
0: here about the practice or yourself that uh, the audience would like to know about? Uh, you know, I, I do. I, I you know, it, it it might sound a bit campy, but I I, I really do feel like I I, I landed, you know, eventually, um, uh, in, in the right profession, the right career, uh, the right way to have, like I said, the the life as well as career satisfaction and, and doing things. My you know, my background too, I, I spent uh, fifteen years as a as a youth and young adult sports coach. And there are a ton of parallels between coaching athletes and oh, wow. clients. And I, we, could, we could spend an entire session just talking about that. But mm-hmm. I'll save that for another time. But that's, uh, yeah, really feel like I found the right place. And, and for those who feel similarly, you know, those who are thinking about entering this, I'd, I'd strongly encourage it. Well, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead,
1: Bernard. I, guess, uh, I mean, I, I did have one final question. Is there anything that keeps you up at night about either the business, the you know, economically, or just in terms of clients, anything that keeps you up at night or you kind of, or not really? I, I, I'd like to say
0: that there's, there's nothing I, I don't, you know, and, and I don't want to sound overconfident by saying, I don't, I don't, I don't worry about it. Of course, I, I worry about all of my clients. I worry about their long-term success. I, I believe in the process that we go through. And, and that allows me to, to sleep well at night, but it's certainly not without concern or worry. Yeah. Just nothing. No, there isn't any, any one singular thing that says I have, you know, great concern for the future of, of this profession, for instance. Sure.
2: All right. Well, Herbert, thank you very much for spending your time with us today and we look forward to getting to maybe meet you at one of these times that we're out in Arizona. I know. We've got an associate out there. So, um, again, thanks very much for sharing your talk,
0: your thoughts with us. Thanks, Larry. Thanks, Bernard.
1: This interview also may contain statements that constitute endorsements of measured risk portfolios, also known as MRP. Please note that any such statements are not made by clients of MRP, but by representatives of other investment advisory firms that work with MRP. No compensation was offered or given in exchange for these statements. However, a conflict of interest exists due to the incentive to give an endorsement in the interest of a good future working relationship between the endorser and MRP.